everybody, this is Scoots here, and I don't know what past Scoots, like, I know past Scoots was talking about Angela Lansbury, uh, but sometimes he doesn't write, write everything down, and uh, I know he was talking to, like, Angela Lansbury's famous roles, uh, and I was like, okay, well... Like, uh, like my, like knowledge of Angela, Angela Lansbury's pretty, pretty limited scooter. I don't know if you know that, but when you decided to make an entire, but, but, but here's the thing I know, Angela Lansbury is pretty wonderful. So I said, let's learn more and let's just be open-minded and see where it goes from there. So I looked up uh, on Wikipedia, of course, where you say, Scoots, where do you learn more? Where, do you, where What's the definitive reference on Angela Lansbury? And I say, the definitive one? I don't know. I'll probably hear about it uh, when this episode comes out. But the reference I have easy access to, to get a basic overview, uh, thank you, is uh, Angela, uh, Wikipedia. And here's the first thing. This is how um, not like a... Clear I was. Angela Lansbury is an Irish-British actress who's played, uh, she's been, I knew she was in film, theater, music, musicals too, television roles. Uh, she is, uh, she is DBE, uh, so she's royal, royalty at this point. That made me think of uh, the Marple character, Miss Ms. Marple or whatever, but then I said, I can't really, I think we are pushing our luck with that one. Because I don't even remember how I was trying to skirt around it. Oh, Miss, was it Miss Marble? I don't know. But uh, so 80 years of career at this point. She's an Academy Award nominee. She uh, was a star in the golden age of Hollywood, according to Wikipedia. Grew up in London. Uh, moved to the United States in 1940, started studying acting, uh, then moved to Hollywood in 42. Uh, she like signed to MGM, uh, and, uh, oh, she was in the picture of Dorian Gray in a movie called Gaslight. Uh, in picture of Dorian Gray, she got two Oscar nominations and a Golden Globe. She was in 11 more MGM films, uh, and uh, then her contract ended in 1952. She did supplemental uh, work uh, with theatrical appearances. I don't know what that means. Uh, but she then appeared in 1962 in The Manchurian Candidate, uh, which was uh, met with widespread acclaim and is considered one of her finer performances. Uh, that doesn't have a citation, though. But uh, so if I saw, I'm, I'm assuming it is, though. Then moved into musical theater uh, on Broadway. She was in MAME. Holy cow. Okay, so that's where we can go next. Uh, This could be all facts about uh, Angela Lansbury and where it leads. Uh, And uh, she got a Tony Award. Uh, Then she moved from California to County Cork in Ireland in 1970, but can still continue with uh, theatrical and cinematic performances. She was in leading roles in the musicals Gypsy, Sweeney Todd, The King and I, then Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And we'll cover that one. I I thought I was going to rewatch that, but I don't remember. I think we started it. Or maybe it was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
I don't know if she, that's a good question. I don't know if she was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I don't see it listed here yet. Uh, moving into television in 1984, she, uh, this was 1984 when she was on the show, uh, Mystery Writer, Writer of Mysteries. And that ran for 12 seasons in one of the longest running and most popular detective drama series in TV history. Uh, Lansbury actually assumed ownership of the series and was its executive producer for the final four seasons. Uh, then she moved into voice work. Uh, that probably came up as that's maybe where it came from is uh, Beauty and the Beast and, and also in Don Bluth's Anastasia. And she toured in a variety of international productions and continued to make film appearances. Nancy McPhee, Mary Poppins Returns, has received an Academy Award, uh, BAFTA, Tony Awards, Golden Globes, Olivier Award, uh, and then nominated for other things, Best Supporting Actress on three occasions, Primetime Emmy Awards on 18 occasions, and a Grammy Award. And, yeah, she, in 19, 2014, she was made a Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire by Qu- Queen Elizabeth II. She's also had three biographies written about her. So let's go to uh, a little bit deeper into her career. Uh, tonight at 8.30, and then was joined, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I don't understand this because I don't have the context. So I'm trying to think. Uh, having gained the job by claiming to be 19 when she was 16, well, she was working at a nightclub in Montreal, earning $60 a week, then returned to New York City in 1942. Uh, then Hollywood. Her, she was following her mother, who was trying to re- re- resurrect her cinematic career. Lived in a bungalow in Laurel Canyon. That sounds nice. Lansbury and her mother obtained jobs. They worked at Bullock's Wilshire Department Store. And she was actually, Lansbury maintained her job. $28 a week supported the rest of her family. Uh, then uh, was in Gaslight, which was a mystery thriller in, set in London. As starred Ingrid Bergman as the star, lead role of Paula Alquist. Uh, Angela, Angela Lansbury played the role of Nancy Oliver or Olivier. Um, and uh, then got an agent, then signed a seven-year contract with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Uh, That's $500 a week, using her real name as her professional name. Got casting attention in Variety magazine, uh, and then uh, Gaslight. Although Lansbury's role was widely praised, uh, that was the one she got Best Supporting Actress for. Then National Velvet as the older sister of Velvet Brown, and maintained a lifelong friendship with Elizabeth Taylor. No, let's open that one just in case. Uh, then was in picture a picture of the picture of Dorian Gray, a cinematic uh, adaptation of Oscar Wilde's novel. Set again in Victorian w- London. She played Sybil Vane 
a working class musical singer, singer who falls in love with Dorian Gray. I have not read that novel. I'm reading something now, but that might go on my list. Uh, the film was not a financial success, but Lansbury's performance once more drew praise, got a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress in a Motion Picture. And uh, that was a nomination, but lost to Anne Revere, her co-star in National Velvet. Uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, then let's see what else we got here. Established career, 1950 to 1960. 11 further films till the care contract ended, as we talked about. Keeping up with B-list stars, MGM used her less than the smaller, similar aged actresses, biographers. Uh, these were mediocre films anyway. Uh, some people claim she was miscast repeatedly by MGM, uh, not, you know, playing different roles. Uh, and the company then had a slump. Uh, in 1948, started cutting their budgets. Uh, Lansbury played her first American character as M, E.M., the honky-tonk saloon singer with Ju- Judy Garland uh, in the Wild West musical The Harvey Girls. And then she was in The Hoodlum Saint, Till the Clouds Roll By, If Winter Comes, Tenth Avenue Angel. The Three Musketeers, State of the Union, Red Danube. It was in a UA film, The Private Affairs of Bellamy, uh, Paramount on Samson and Delilah. Then in uh, Kind Lady in 1951 and Mutiny in 1952. Uh, then was in uh, a few different radio plays, uh, including Pride and Prejudice, and then started on television, Robert Montgomery Presents uh, The Citadel. That was an episode of that. But not happy with those roles, did not re- instructed her manager not to, to terminate her contract, uh, and then joined East Coast Touring Productions. This is so cool because this is like someone taking charge of, like, uh, of uh, instead of just, I don't know, this is like changing it up and staying a professional performer. Uh, uh, but yeah, it was in uh, uh, Affair, Remains to be Seen in Affairs of the State. Uh, two, uh, two, those are two former broad, oh, Broadway plays. Uh, but uh, not happy at this time either. So again, I'm projecting, of course, uh, my... my uh, uh, then, uh, let's see. They mix a lot of personal stuff in here, even though it's supposed to be about career. Returned to cinema as a freelance actress uh, and still like, the, um, did not enjoy, like, was being miscast. And uh, she had uh, some roles on different films. Uh, are these films? Or, uh, I mean, it says Hollywood. She played Princess Gwendolyn in the comedy film The Court Jester, uh, like uh, Steak, Street, Purple. Were three other movies, and then another movie, then uh, uh, Long Summer, Reluctant Debutante, uh, and then uh, she. Those are the last few movies, uh, the summer movie and the debutante movie, really boosted her career again. Throughout this period, she kept going on television in recurring roles. Uh, 
or recurring appearances on Revlon Mirror Theater, Ford Theater, the George Goebel Show, and a regular on the uh, game show Pantomime, Pantomime Quiz. Uh, then finally got a sympathetic role in the uh, Dark at the Top of the Stairs, uh, which was critically acclaimed. But then, of course, they had the other side and all fall down. And then the Manchurian Candidate, uh, which was she was cast in after Frankenheimer saw a performance in All Fall Down. And let's see what else. Uh, she'd agreed to appear in the film after reading the novel, one of the most exciting books I ever read. She got her third Best Act Supporting Actress Academy Award nomination for the film. And but she lost to Patty Duke for the Miracle Worker in 1962. Then was in the cool in the cool of the day. Uh, World of Henry, Dear Heart. Uh, a lot of her titles are not. Uh, uh, she t- t- turned down some roles, including uh, Nurse Nurse Ratched in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. She did, uh, was in Something for Everyone, 1970. And that same year, she put, she was in Bedknobs and Broomsticks in 1971. That was her first lead in a screen musical. And she did a lot of publicizing of it, including on the David Frost show. And that secured an enormous audience for me. So then she spent most of the 1970s on stage rather than screen. Uh, Big Farm on the Nile... Uh, who, like, uh, the vanishing something, uh, based on, uh, a re- that was a remake. I don't know if this is a film, a mirror one based on Agatha Christie novel. This time is Miss Holy Small World as Miss Marple. So we can't say Miss Marple's an Agatha Christie thing. Lady Marple, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, not Miss Marple. That was a character I was wondering about. So then, uh, a sleuth in 1950s Kent, uh, she hoped to get, get, get away from the depiction of the role, uh, instead returning to Christie, oh, that someone else had played. She kind of based on Agatha Christie's description of the character, which kind of did, it was a precursor to Jessica Fletcher on, uh, Mystery I Wrote, uh, she was signed on to appear in two sequels as Miss Marple that were never made, and then was in the animated film The Last Unicorn. Uh, let's see. Okay, so then 1990 to 2000. Doesn't say any, but this is when uh, Mystery, she wrote, is running. I think this, did this come up because of the, um, uh, if you live in L.A. or you visit L.A. and you go on the, um, Universal Tour, you you get to see uh, Cabot, part of Cabot Cove, or once what what was it's considered a, a Amity and Cabot Cove, I think, or is my memory serving me? Uh, but Lansbury continued on television, miniseries, and cinema. Uh, did the uh, New York Philharmonic's uh, tribute to the centenary of uh, Statue of Liberty with Kurt Doug, Kirk Douglas. Uh, was in uh, like uh, something called uh, a- a- Angels with a Frowny Face. Uh, 
was in a couple other TV movies, I think. Uh, Shell Seekers, uh, The Love She Sought, uh, uh, Miss Eris Goes to Paris. Uh, there's a rhyme. Uh, and uh, that was an adaptation of a novel. That was her highest profile. Oh, no, her highest profile cinematic role was as Mrs. Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast which uh, she considered a gift to her three grandchildren. And the title song to the film won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, Golden Globe for Best Original Song, Grammy Award for Best Song Written for Motion Picture, Television, or Other Visual Media. And also made a surprise appearance uh, in uh, in 2021, Inspiring Walt Disney, the animation of French decorative arts at the Metropolitan Museums of Art's first ever exhibition about uh, exhibition about uh, Walt Disney and Studios. Was also in films in uh, Nancy McPhee in 2005. Uh, and that really was a positive experience for her. Then in Mr. Popper's Penguins with Jim Carrey. Uh, was said to be in Grand Budapest Hotel. Holy mackerel. Uh, but had scheduling conflicts uh, with the Australian production of Driving Miss Daisy, which she co-starred in with James Earl Jones. Uh, then got an Honorary Academy Award uh, prevented, presented to her by Robert Osborne. Emma Thompson and Jeffrey Rush also were offered tributes, then was in Miss Poppins Returns, the sequel. And uh, what else we got? I uh, was invited to the AFI, AFI oh, spoke about some of her other experiences. Okay, now we get into theater, which is, so it's kept separate. So I guess we'll go theater Broadway. But, uh, yeah, so theater from uh, Breakthrough was in uh, Hotel Paradiso uh, in 1957 on Broadway at the Henry Miller Theater. It only ran for 15 weeks, but she got good reviews. Uh, it then was in A Taste of Honey at the Lyceum Theater. Uh, and uh, let's see what else we got. It got a great deal of satisfaction from that role. And uh, developed uh, a friendship with uh, Lawrence Olivier and Joan Plowright. Uh, lived on East 7, 97th Street. Uh, was in the summer of the 17th Doll. Uh, a Breath of a Scandal. Blue Hawaii with uh, uh, Elvis Presley playing. Uh, that's a play? I don't know. It was in Anyone Can Whistle, uh, which was short-lived, but it was uh, written by, like, Stephen Sondheim was involved. Uh, uh, she appeared in a second-season episode of The Man from UNCLE, The Greatest Story Ever Told, which is a biop. Uh, uh, Ma Flanders, Harlow, Mr. Budwig. These are films, though, so this is jumping around. Uh, this is all. This is like Wikipedia made for sleep with me. She was in musical cinema, including The Pirates of Penzance. Uh, I saw that movie a few times. I didn't get it, but uh, 
like on repeat or something as a kid. She was in a gothic fantasy film, The Company of Wolves, in 84, Little Gloria, Happy at Last, uh, The Gift of Love, A Christmas Story, A Talent for Mystery, 1984, as a mystery writer, which she's considered a rush job, but Laurence Olivier was in it. Uh, she was in Lace in the First Olympics in 1984. And then she played Mame Dennis in Mame, which made uh, Jerry Herman's uh, musical adaptation of Auntie Mame, which my dad was in in the community theater, which I think has come up in a couple episodes, including a repeat uh, not that long ago. Uh, she actively sought the role in hopes that it would mark a change in her career. It, theater critics were surprised. They thought it would go to a better-known actress, uh, and it was her first starring role. And I was trying to explain my ta- to my daughter, actually, the character of uh, Mame. She's a g- glamorous character, 20 costume changes in the, in the, in the Broadway play, 10 songs, uh, dance routines. First appeared in uh, Philadelphia, then Boston, and then at the Winter Garden Theater in 1966 in Broadway. And really gained, gained uh, uh, Angela Lansbury a big following, overwhelmingly positive, and uh, made her a superstar, according to some of her biographers. Everyone loves you. Everyone loves the success, enjoys it as much as you do. And that letter to be on Perry Cuomo, Cuomo's uh, Thanksgiving special in 1966. Uh, she used to also use it as a jumping-off point to raise money for uh, organizations. Uh, she was invited to star in, in the 1968 Academy Awards uh, and uh, in a musical performance and host co-host uh, that year's Tony Awards. Harvard University's Hasty Pudding Club elected her Woman of the Year. When the film adaptation of Mame was put in production, she was offered the part, but it went to Lucille Ball. Oh, she hoped to be offered the part, uh, but Lucille Ball was a more established uh, box office. Uh, Lansbury considers this a big disappointment. Uh, she followed her success in Mame as a... Uh, in uh, Dear World, a musical adaptation of uh, something else, uh, but did not enjoy the experience. The reviews were positive, and she secured her second Tony Award uh, of her performances, but the reviews of the show were not great. Uh, then she was in uh, Pretty Bell. Uh, then, uh, then, set, oh, then, uh, 1970, uh, a lot of stuff going on. 1972, returned to London's West End, performing the Royal Shakespeare Company's uh, uh, performance of uh, Albies all over. And uh, then she had a reluctant involvement. That This was following her reluctant involvement in a revival of Maine, touring the United States, uh, then played Rose in Gypsy on the West End. She initially turned down the role, didn't want to be in the shadow of Ethel Merman, who played the Broadway version. 
and got rave reviews, standing ovation in May 1973. And she was in soon in demand among London society, having dinners held in her honor. And then Gypsy went on tour in the U.S. in Chicago. Oh, and, and in Chicago was awarded the Sarah Siddons Award for her performance. Eventually got back to Broadway, where it was a critical success. Third Tony Award. And then toured the country again in 1975. Then she needed a break from musicals. Uh, and uh, she was a Gertrude in Hamlet. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, was in a few, another one, act, uh, two one act plays by Al, Edward Albee, uh, way counting the ways and listening. Then another revival tour of Gypsy. Then 24 performances of the King and I, um, taking over somebody who's on break. Then on, uh, sleeping on the Nile, which is an Agatha Christie adaptation. And Betty Davis and, uh, I think Betty Davis was in that, too. Then was in Sweeney Todd in 1979, uh, which, uh, let's see. She jumped on the role, being a Sondheim project, uh, and loved the wit and intelligence of the lyrics. Uh, remained in that role for 14 months. And uh, got fourth, Tony. Uh, then kind of went on some a little family business. Uh, what else here? Then she was in, inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. Then appeared in another MAME revival at the Gershwin. But the show did not, it wasn't commercially successful. It's more of a period piece, not a show of today, Lansbury noted. 2001 returned after a mystery she wrote. She returned to Broadway in the musical The Visit. Uh, and she thought she was going to take a break uh, um, from rolling. You know, had a bunch of family things going on. But returned to a, in a play by Terrence McNally, the uh, Deuce, not The Deuce, just Deuce. And received a Tony nomination for that one. She was in Blythe, Blythe Spirit uh, in 2009. Got a Tony Award uh, for Best Featured Actress in a Play, her fifth Tony. Uh, then uh, was in something, let's see, all of, uh, let's see, 20, 2009. She was in something with Catherine Zeta-Jones, a revival of A Little Night Music. Seventh Tony nomination, and then she got a doctoral degree from the Manhattan School of Music, then returned to the West End in Gore Vidal's The Best Man. Then that's when she did the Australian tour of Driving Miss Daisy in uh, 2013 with James Earl Jones. Then she uh, returned to 2014 to Blythe Spirit, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it was even in the tour across North America. Got the Olivier Award in uh, 2015 at 89. And uh, in 2016, was announced it would return to Broadway in uh, the Chalk Garden. 
but then Lansbury decided, I don't know, I'm going to think I'm going to not, I'm going to keep taking a break, hang with my family. In 2019, Lansbury returned to Broadway portraying Lady Bracknell in, uh, from, uh, the importance of being earnest for roundabout theater. And, uh, she, uh, yeah, then television. So this is totally, uh, so sleep with me. So in television, let's see, uh, Lansbury, uh, was, uh, offered a 1983 in Norman Lear sitcom with Charles Durning and then a detective, uh, series, uh, and unable to do both. She decided to do the detective series. Despite the fact her agents told her to do the sitcom, the series Mystery Remote, she played Jessica Fletcher. We'll look that up. Uh, we'll learn more about that. Uh, who was a mystery novelist, uh, solving mysteries, encountered. So she was writing mysteries and solving mysteries. An American Miss Marple. And the, the team that made it had made Columbo. Uh, first, the role was offered to Gene Stapleton, who declined the role, as did Doris Day. And uh, his premiere, uh, which had to do with Sherlock Holmes, came out in 1984. It was on Sundays from 8 to 9 p.m. And it was highly popular. Critical reviews were mixed. It got a Nielsen rating of 18.9, top rated in its time slot. Inoffensive family viewing. Despite it, like despite the topic, the the show was uh, very mild and followed a whodunit format, uh, and you know nothing to keep you up at night. So kind of sleep with me. Protect Lansbury was protective of Jessica Fletcher and had creative input over her costumes, makeup, hair, and would not you know submit to pressure from network executives. That wanted her to be in a relationship. She wanted to be a strong single female. And she believed that a scriptwriter had made uh, things, if she would disagree, you know, with the script and asked for it to be changed if it was not within the character. And she said it was a role model for older female viewers. And it was even called a television landmark, uh, maybe even paved the way for the Golden Girls. And, uh, it gradually gained a younger audience, it says. By 1991, one-third of the audience was under 50 years old. It outdid many things in the same time slot, even Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Uh, there was even a spinoff in 1987. It looks like she was in MAME with B. Arthur. We'll find out. Uh, and then, you know, as it continued, she took over uh, in 1989, co-producing the show... But she did kind of, you know, it was long hours uh, and thought like by 90, it would be, the show would be ending. But then she became an executive producer in 92, 93. And the show setting moved to New York City in the eighth season where Jessica had taken a job at Manhattan University teaching. And that was an attempt to, to get more younger viewers. It, it became, you know, it was a Sunday night institution and the show's ratings improved during the early 90s, uh, but CBS executives moved it to Thursdays at 8 p.m. There's not a good move. Opposite Friends, uh, Lansbury was not happy. 
And the show finally ended in 1996. Uh, Angela Lansbury voicing a goodbye from Jessica Message at the end. And uh, it was uh, it kind of like uh, everybody was focused on youth and the youth demographic at the time. But the role was very prominent. Um, uh, let's see. What else? Uh, there was uh, Mrs. Santa Claus, in which Lansbury played Santa Claus's wife, which was a hit. Uh, Lansbury was in different TV commercials uh, and even spinoffs of, uh, you know, things related to her success. Uh, was guests on uh, other TV shows that you like where uh, Order, Legal Order, uh, those shows. BBC miniseries she, she produced, she played Aunt March uh, on Little Women. And I think that's everything of... Uh, her thing. So let's go to um, Mame next uh, because this is like a musical that uh, I saw three or four times when my dad was in it uh, and I had no reference. uh, But it it was telling my daughter it was kind of like a plot device back then. So it was originally titled My Best Girl. It's based on a 1955 novel. Oh, written by Patrick Dennis uh, in a 1956 play. It's set in New York City, spans the Great Depression, WW2. Uh, eccentric bohemian Mame Dennis, uh, whose motto is life is a banquet and most people don't eat, you know, don't eat their fill. She lives a fabulous life with wealthy friends, which is interrupted when the son of her, young son of her brother comes to live with her, Patrick, uh, and they cope with the depression in a series of adventures. It was also a film, but uh, it opened on Broadway in 1966 with Angel Lansbury and B. Arthur. Oh, yeah, because she has a best friend, I think, that she plays off of. Uh, oh, it was, oh, it was 58, it was a film, and 74. The Lucille Ball role was in 1974. Okay, the musical was inspired by the success of the play. In uh, the Broadway was at the Winter Garden Theater. There was national tours. I don't think I don't know if this covers the plot adaptation. Oh, here's the synopsis. So Dane, uh, Madam Dane, Mame, Mame Dennis. I don't know where, where my brain is. Uh, she's in a clique. Ten-year-old Patrick uh, is entrusted to her care. And she, now, so, so when I saw it, it was a theater, a community theater at a retirement community where my dad lives. So everyone, my dad was playing a boy. He was playing the teen, ver, like, so there was a little kid who played the little Patrick, like an actual 10 year old. But for the rest of the play, it was played by my dad who played like the high school, college and adult Patrick. She, yeah, she, she uh, introduces a boy to her freewheeling lifestyle uh, Agnes Gooch is, uh, I don't know if that's her best friend. This is Mame's personal secretary and nanny-in-law, Vera Charles. Oh, that's her bosom buddy and a partier. And Dwight Babcock, uh, who's the one who has control of her brother's estates. 
So, yeah, and it's like a kind of like a, a pretty basic advice, like a fish out of, you know, like a fish out of water for both of them. Patrick's just a kid, goes to live with uh, Mame. Mame's like is living a single party life, kind of like with plenty of money. Then they lose everything in 1929. And Mame tries to get jobs, but she always has good humor and irrepressible sense of style, according to Wikipedia. Mame, oh, so Mame gets married to a Southern aristocrat. Uh, for some reason, I thought Patrick gets married at some point, though, too, I think. Uh, oh, Patrick goes to boarding school, St. Boniface in Massachusetts, an imaginary school. Mame and Bo travel the world on an endless honeymoon. Then Bo visits a big farm during the honeymoon, but Mame's a wealthy widow. But Patrick is engaged. Uh, he's become a snob, I guess. He's engaged to a debutante, Gloria Upson. Her family's not open-minded at all, pretty close-minded. Uh, and Mame kind of gets Patrick's mind open. Then he meets another woman who becomes his wife. Uh, and in the end, uh, Mame is hanging out with Pete Patrick's son, Peter, uh, with her usual flair. It's going to go through the num songs, uh, Overture, then St. Bridget with Patrick and Agnes. Uh, then It's Today, which is Mame, Vera, and Company. Then open a new window. This must be when Patrick comes. Mame, young Patrick, and company. And then the moon song, the man in the moon, Vera, Maine, Mame, and company. Then my best girl, M young Patrick, and Mame. Then we need a little Christmas. I don't know if that's that song. We need a little Christmas right this very moment. Let's look that up next. That's uh, young Patrick, Agnes, Ito, and Beauregard, and Mame. Fox Hunt, Uncle Jeff, Uncle Patrick, Cousin Fan, Mother Burnside. Then Mame, Beauregard and Company. That must be when he falls for Mame. Final Act 1, My my Best Girl and Mame and Young Patrick and Company. Intra Octa before Act 2, then opening Act 2, The Letter, Young Patrick and Older Patrick. Then a reprise of My Best Girl with Older Patrick, Would Have Been My Dad. Bosom Buddies with Mame and Vera. Gooch's Song with Agnes Gooch. Uh, that's How Young I Feel, Mame, Junior and Company. If You Walked Into My Life, Mame. It's Today, reprise, Mame and Company. My Best Girl, reprise with Older Patrick. Final act two, open a new window, all. Then curtain calls, it's today, we need a little Christmas in Mame. Yeah, that is, uh, it's from, uh, that is, it's a popular Christmas tune. We need a little Christmas, uh, which makes sense because it was written during, yeah, 1929. Now, bed knobs and Broomsticks. I get this movie and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang mixed up along with uh, some one of those Christmas movies, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And I guess I saw this on repeat or something. It, was, it came out before my time, but I definitely saw this when I was a kid. It's an animation and uh, what do they call it? Well, they'll tell us. Uh, 1971, uh, Walt Disney... 
It was loosely based on books, Magic Bed Knob, or How to Become a Witch in Ten Easy Lessons, and Bonfires and Broomsticks by Mary Norton. Uh, during the night, it was in her development, like uh, during the negotiations for Mary Poppins, when those were placed on hold. And then it was shelled because it was too similar to Mary Poppins. Uh, it was originally 139 minutes long. Then it was edited to under two hours before its premiere. The Sherman Brothers composed the songs. It was released in 1971 in mixed reviews. So, like They liked the live-action animated sequence. Uh, five Academy Awards Best Visual, Special Visual Effects at one. It was the last film released uh, before... Uh, Prior to uh, Roy O. Disney visiting his brother at the Big Farm. Uh, let's see. It was restored. Oh, 1996 it was restored with most of its deleted material put back in. There was a stage adaptation. So it takes place in 1940 with Charlie, Carrie, and Paul. They leave London. Oh, yeah. I remember starting this out because I just read a book about London in 1940. And watched a documentary. So the children, they want to go back to London, but they're supposed to be living out there. They see this lady flying on a broomstick. They change her mind. Uh, she reveals she's going to a correspondence school. Yes, there's a lot of funny stuff. Uh, and she wants to help the British uh, defeat the, 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 you know, the, the people that are up to no good. She even has a transportation spell. She'll teach them to keep silence so that... Uh, she uh, figures out on the bed knob. Uh, only Paul can work the spell. Then their school's closed. Uh, she does, so she can't learn the final spell. She turns the bread, bed into something. They go to London to find the professor. And, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, so, yeah, I remember meeting the professor and they go to a magical land, a bed goes underwater. And so, I don't know. Uh, yeah, eventually they teach the kids a bunch of stuff. Uh, let's just close out with mystery she wrote, uh, a little bit about it. Uh, I wonder if it has uh, not the facts, though. Let's see the premise. So we talked about the ending. The cast, uh, regular cast. I want to let learn about Cabot Cove, though. So what my my thing is, is that really where it was set? I'm almost positive. Uh, if there's a Wikipedia article on Cabot Cove, uh, I don't know if there is. So I'm searching searching for Cabot Cove. Uh, let's see. It's mostly produced in Universal Studios, Universal City, California. Exterior shots, uh, some of them in Mendocino, oh, which also stood in for the main town of Cabot Cove. So they did some exterior shots on location, but that's all about Cabot Cove. That's there. That's unfortunate. Tom Bosley was in it for the first uh, four seasons. Uh, that's interesting. Tom Bosley uh, from 1984 to 1988. So Tom Bosley was in Happy Days, which we were, I was watching with my parents. And uh, what is that thing called? It's like an app. You can watch free TV from the, like, it's kind of like Nick at Night in the app version. 
plasma or something? Pluto TV. And I said, I had, I like, I had to leave the room because it was like bringing up too many. Like, I couldn't remember. Like, whenever Happy Days was airing, I must have been a child. So, but Tom Bosley was on that show, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Yeah, he was on Happy Days, uh, the sitcom Happy Days, which was like a 1950s sitcom that was out in the 70s, maybe. Let's see. Happy Days is, uh, Yes, American sitcom was on TV from 74 to 84. 255 half-hour episodes, 11 seasons. Gary Marshall It was an idealized vision of life in the 50s and 60s in Midwest U.S. Ron Howard, Henry Winkler, Tom Bosley, Marion Ross, Anson Williams, uh, it was an unsold pilot originally. Howard Ross and Anson Williams, uh, Love in the Television set, and then Love in the Happy Days. And then George Lucas cast Howard in uh, American Graffiti, which ABC took a second look at the pilot. And then they focused it on the dilemmas of innocent teenager Richie Cunningham. Who would have thought we got from Angela Lansbury to Happy Days? Oh, and that leads to Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy, which were spinoffs from that. Laverne and Shirley, I highly recommend. I wonder if there's a Laverne and Shirley. That went from 1976 to 1983. Uh, You got so many great people in that. Penny Marshall, Cindy Williams, Michael McKean, David Lander, and... uh, a couple other people uh, played uh, like other recurring roles. Uh, it was a physical comedy. In its third season, it was the most watched American television program. Six Golden Globes, one M- Emmy. It was a spinoff of Happy Days. Its two lead characters were introduced uh, as acquaintances of Fonzie, Henry Winkler. Uh, they. Uh, uh, let's see, set in the roughly the same period, 1958 to 1967, made for Paramount by Gary Marshall, along with Lowell Gantz and Mark Rothman and uh, Michael Eisner. According to Michael Eisner, Cindy Williams had refused to do Laverne and Shirley spinoff, uh, but her role was cast with Liberty Williams, no relation. They did a screen test where they said no way. And they eventually got her to be a co-star with Penny Penny Marshall, uh, co-star of the series. And uh, the Shamil Schmeichel, Hoffman Puffer Incorporated, which is a Yiddish-American hopscotch chant, uh, which leads the series theme song, Making Our Dreams Come True. Shamil Schmazel, Hoffman Puffer Incorporated, Probably saying it wrong. Uh, the hopstock, hopscotch chant is uh, is from Penny Marshall's childhood. It was set in Milwaukee for the first five seasons. Uh, they worked as bottle cappers at the Schatz Brewery. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a nice place to close out. Uh, Angela Lansbury, all the way to Penny Marshall. Those are two uh, amazing, amazing. So thanks, Angela Lansbury. We didn't get any fan fiction of yours. We just got, I don't know. This was interesting to take a little journey uh, 
through uh, Angela Lansbury's career and led us to a couple other uh, little meanders. So thanks and good night.